Hello, and welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, where we analyze, explore, and celebrate the creative journey. My name is Julie Bayfam Balzer, and I am a working artist living outside of Boston. I've been hosting this podcast with my super special co-host and my mom, Eileen Schubalzer, since 2012. Hi, mom. Hi, Julie. So a couple just quick things. I want to mention that my class, Practical Color for Painters, has started this month in January. Um, there was a great quote I found from Matisse, who's one of my favorite artists recently, where he said, uh, quote, don't try to be original, be simple, be good technically, and if there is something in you, it will come out, end quote. And this is going to sound silly, but the further I get in my career, the more I realize how important technical skills are. I didn't want to work on them when I was at the beginning. They felt boring. They felt repetitive. They felt obvious, all sorts of things. And now, of course, I feel uh, that I have been going back over and over to those technical skills because they really do matter as you start to really try to shape your work to be exactly what you want. This is one of those, I wish I had done the work 10 years ago and now I have to do it now moments. But anyway, Practical Color for Painters is the class that's here to rescue you from maybe that feeling of, oh, color's just color, because it's not. So I'm going to unlock the secrets of color for you, make it easy, accessible, and you will leave every class feeling empowered, excited, productive, and really in control of a technical mastery of color that I think is really important to being an artist. Okay, so that class is part of sort of a larger overarching theme for where I have seen uh, my teaching business going, which is I am very interested in helping people with their art practice. What does that mean? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that question because this episode is 136. What is an art practice? Um, so if you've ever wondered what an art practice is, how you can get one if you need to get one, uh, then this episode is for you. So mom, when you hear art practice, what, what do you think of? I think of all the things that have happened in your life mm -hmm. up to now, because it's all part of getting to this. And then I think of self-education, constant self-education to find what else is out there for you, out there and in you too, same thing. Yeah, so, it's, like, it's like the things that are in you getting out. Well, and one of the things that I think of is, because I'm not an artist, I think of lots of other uh, artistic practices. I was just reading a magazine I got for free yesterday called Edible Boston, which is all about uh, local restaurants and food purveyors, farmers who work in a certain way, sustainable, local, all that stuff that we like. And uh, what's interesting is each one has come to whatever they're doing in a roundabout way and continues to try to work with other people, read, eat, travel, uh, so I think there are a lot of practices in creative endeavors that all can draw from the same central ideas that you're about to talk about. 
Yeah, I mean, so in in its absolute essentials, an art practice is the range of activities and procedures that contribute to the creation of an artist's artwork. So it's the physical act of making the work, but it's also the inspiration that goes in. It's the how you get from the inspiration to the output. It's it's everything that has to do with creating the art. So um, we're going to talk about this sort of in two major parts. The first part is I thought I'd share a little bit about what my art practice is, not because it defines what all art practices should be, but because it's the only example I have to give because I'm me, you know, and I think that it's a good example, I think, of uh, what maybe some other artists might share in common. So um, here are some key components, right? And I've kind of divided the key components into four major sections, right? So the first major section of my art practice is studio time. And I think this would be true for virtually any visual artist, is that a, a component of your art practice has to be that time that you actually have regular and dedicated time that you spend in the studio. It's where you make the art. It's where you do all that stuff. Now, I can divide the studio time up a little bit more. And I will also say this. Let's say I'm going to say throughout this podcast, in my studio, in my studio, in my studio, A, because I'm a professional artist, and B, because I happen to have a studio. But if you are a professional artist and you don't have a studio, or if you're a hobby artist and you don't have a studio, or whatever the case is where you don't have that, you know, studio space, just think of it as your kitchen table, your dining table, do you know what I mean? The corner of your room, like whatever it is that you, the space that you have that you use to make art, okay? So, um, you know, whenever you say the word artist, people say sketch. I say artist, you say sketch. Um, they sort of go together. It's a peanut butter and jelly moment, but just like my four-year-old will not eat peanut butter and jelly. He will only eat peanut butter and peanut butter. Um, not everybody likes the combination of artist and sketching. So I'm going to say sketching slash planning. You don't have to draw to be an artist. I do think that everybody should learn to draw and feel confident in drawing just because I think it's an important way of processing what you see through your own hand and your own interpretation. Even if it doesn't come out realistically later, it's just a way of processing input and putting it out visually, which after all is what artists do. But that's a whole other podcast and a whole other diatribe. But so, also, you've said that in the past that it's through the process of sketching that you actually learn to look at things. Yes, that's a Milton Glaser thing that I stole, which is, and he does say it, and it is true, that you never really see something until you draw it. And actually, Louise Bourgeois, who's an artist whose work I don't really like, can I say that? Because she's so famous and so important in the artistic canon, but it isn't my thing. But anyway, I, I appreciate her. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate her. I appreciate her very much. Uh, but something she wrote once that I read and just pinged off me and I've never been able to forget is she described her sketchbooks as a place where she catches thought feathers. And I just love this phrase of thought feathers because I get it. It's that moment between wake and sleep when you're like, oh, and you want to find a way to get it down, right? It's that moment when you're thinking of something and you can't quite you know, say what it is, but you can draw it or you can conceptualize, you know, a shape or an idea. Like I, so I think of part of my artistic practice is these thought feathers is I need to find a way to sort of have a visual manifestation of some sort of thought or idea. Okay. And so sort of related to that is conceptual development. 
now. That sounds scary. But really all that is, is it's thinking about like themes, concepts, and messages behind your artwork. You know, you and I had a conversation last night at dinner where I said I had been, um, I'd been listening to a podcast that talks about art with a capital A. And this is a very hoity-toity, like um, fancy, fine artists who are collected by museums and have huge shows and win, you know, the Turner Prize and like all sorts of stuff, right? Um, and one of the things that one of the hosts said to an artist that they were interviewing is basically said that artists, all artists have to confront their audiences with like difficult questions or awkward, you know, it's like a confrontation. Artists force you to look at things or something like that. And I don't think that I agree with that in a very high pitched voice. Because for me, I think that that is a particular kind of art that is about social issues, political issues, all that kind of stuff. But I also think that art can be about just showing people your view of the world or maybe the view out your window or that place you went on vacation or how you feel at the moment or the intimacy of the last days of your father's life or Whatever it is, there's a story to tell that doesn't have to necessarily be this huge confrontation. So when we talk about conceptual development, I think that it can be simple things, not just sort of, this is a statement about women and feminism and, you know, all the things, big capital important social concepts. It can be more like, I create art about personal stories. I'm particularly interested in the extremely difficult relationship I have with my mother who is so controlling. And that's what all my artwork is about. Just, just a random example. That'll be the end of this podcast. Just so you know. <laughs> Final episode. So long, everyone. So long. See you later, folks. Um, so, but there is like, that also changes in your life. I wasn't interested in telling stories about motherhood four years ago. I wasn't really interested in telling stories about motherhood even three years ago, three years ago, but like it, it has changed for me and I'm sure it will change again later. So that's just an important thing to remember that you're sort of always developing and thinking, how do I translate this into a visual? Now, part of this, and I think a lot of artists don't think about this, but a big part of my studio time is actually spent in research research, like not necessarily with a card catalog, although I do take out a lot of books from the library. Um, artistic research is everything. It's studying other artists' work. And this can be like, I have a book on Miro behind me on the table right now because I'm interested in some ideas and some things from his work and I wanted to take a closer look. Um, but I also have deep dived on artists through their Instagram profiles or by staring through their website and writing down things that I thought about it. You know, I've gone to galleries, to museums, to shows, to all sorts of stuff. It's also about staying informed about contemporary art trends. So it can be considered research to read a contemporary art magazine, to read a contemporary art blog, to listen to a podcast about art. Like one of the reasons I listen to this capital A art podcast that I was talking about is because I just feel like I would like to know some conversations that are going on in an art world that's way above where I am. 
but certainly is part of the world that I'm interested in inhabiting, you know, that curators and gallerists and lots of other people are aware of, and I need to be aware of it too. So that time you spend scrolling Instagram or TikTok or Pinterest or Facebook or whatever your social media of choices, that can be considered research if, and this is big, bold, imagine I'm yelling at you in capital letters, if you're actually processing that information and not just imbibing it. And what I mean by that is there has to be some way in which after a session of looking at all that stuff, you, even if it's a single sentence, a single thought feather, you manage to get down, just there has to be some way in which that's being processed. It's almost like if you were writing a paper and you read a book and then you never wrote down a single thing about it, and then later you went to write your paper, I don't know, you would be sort of guessing, I guess, a lot about what was in that book because you couldn't possibly, you know, remember enough to sort of get it there. So I think that it's important to process it in some way. Also art history, also reading. So something revolutionary that happened to me in the last month. Well, before um, we do that, just because I'll lose yeah. this random thought feather. This that thought feather came into my mind while you were speaking, which is, wouldn't it be different, maybe, if in other centuries, in other cultures, there had been social media? And so someone like Picasso or Hieronymus Bosch or, you know, Leonardo was putting out Instagram every day and Pinterest and it would give you a whole different way of thinking about what they're doing and why they're doing it. I just suddenly thought of that. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's, I, I could imagine Picasso was so prolific. He would be posting new artwork to Instagram every day. You know, Absolutely. if you think about like how, how Andy Warhol used media and photography, do you know what I mean? To change how he was seen, how Yayoi Kusama has used social media to shoot her career because it's the perfect social media environment to get that great snap for Instagram and her immersion rooms. I mean, there's so many things like that. Um, and it goes to who they think their audience is, right? Right. Interesting, of course. Now, that was a totally random thought. And we'll move on. <laughs> uh, I love I love side quests. So uh, the the revolutionary thing that happened to me is I was talking to this artist and she mentioned that she is in a book club for where they read books about forests. And in the group are some artists as well as some like scientists, biologists, people who are interested in forests. And her, the artwork that she does is guess what? Forests. Forests. And I was like, what? What? And it like, I was like, that's so interesting because I feel like I have a lot of input where I read books about art. I read book about artists. I read uh, romance novels. Uh, I read other novels, but I don't actually like a lot of my work is about motherhood and I don't really read a lot of books about motherhood. And I don't know if that means I need to let other people's motherhood experiences into my brain or I don't, or I'm just doing about mine, but it is a question that I've had now about, 
I mean, motherhood and force are very two very different topics, and our experiences of them might be very, very different. But the, I just have a lot of questions about what other kinds of things can I input into my brain? Would it change me if I read more about the medical you know, issues around like motherhood, like what happens to your body? How does your body change? How does your brain change after motherhood? Would it help me to know things about like lack of sleep or about, um, you know, develop childhood development? Would it change things if I read a lot more sort of science related tomes about, uh, thing? I just don't know. So I, I, I'm not sure that I know the answer to this, but I think it's such an interesting concept that I've been thinking about a lot, which is you need to be a person in the world is, I guess, the big thought out of that. And not just like a, I make art, I'll read about art. What is art? How about value? How about color? How about line? How about shape? But it's like bringing the whole of yourself to something instead of narrowing it down to sort of what you do. It's that old thing. So the college that I went to had this program where you could apply as a senior in high school to be accepted to the Pliny program, which basically meant you got into college and you automatically got into the med school there. And what that meant is that in college, instead of having to major in biology or something like that, that you would, if you wanted to apply to medical school, you could spend the four years of college taking the classes that you needed for grad school, for med school. but you could major in Egyptology. You could major in, you know, literature. You could major in anything that you wanted that you were interested in. And the theory was that that you would be a better doctor because instead of having spent those four years of college just studying to get into med school and jockeying yourself to get into med school, you would be an interesting person and still be prepared to go to med school because you will have taken all the classes that you needed to. And I and I think that's such a great concept to take into all areas of life. You know, we've talked about this before about how just because you were something else in your previous life doesn't mean that you don't bring that with you into your now life. I mean, I, I'm thinking, so in boot camp, maybe two years ago, I think there was a woman who had been a nurse. And almost all of her art contained a vessel of some kind. And I immediately, not knowing her well, other than the fact that she was a retired nurse, said, oh my gosh, you're a person who takes care of people. Everything you do is about a vessel, about containing, about holding, about, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, so I think that we bring ourselves to our art, whether we're conscious of it or not. So being an a person who is interested in the world probably makes your work more interesting. So be interested to be interesting, right? Well, now that I yes, you hear me. I've been yes. coughing, so I've been messing with my microphone. I think that uh, there's a tendency in, in among people who are interested in psychology and psychoanalytics to almost say that you know the course of your life is very directed by your childhood experiences by whether you were a single child or one of 12 etc and i'm not saying that's not true but i think it's probably not the only explanation or every child who was a single child would be the same in many important ways uh so i think what what i take from what you just said was a 
A, I don't know very much about trees, but I clearly have been giving them short shrift and not considering it to be a vast uh, and fascinating topic. But the other thing is, uh, I think you'll take from all these experiences what resonates for you. So as far as the motherhood thing, for example, right now you're doing a lot of artwork on motherhood and you're thinking, well, if I read some science and knew what the brain was doing during pregnancy, you know, I might have it, but I might have a different art practice, but you know, you might not be interested in that. You might not find that germane to what you wanted to say about motherhood. So yes, explore. I I went through a phase in high school. This is going to sound so peculiar. For some reason, I got interested in bullfighting for no reason whatsoever. And I took out every book that our little local library had about bullfighting. I have no idea why, but Ferdinand, not you. (laughs) Quirky little things may send you on a different path. So I think you should be open to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that you can't assume that you're supposed to know everything about whatever topic it is you're currently addressing in your art. You just can't. I think that's true. And I do. So I totally believe in the shiny ball theory. And the shiny ball theory is that you're like walking along your path and there's a shiny ball. And like the theory, right, is that a disciplined person is like, I don't see a shiny ball. And I'm like, no, you look at that shiny ball and you're like, ooh, ball. And you go right after it and just see where it takes you. Because like I said earlier, I like side quests. I think side quests are interesting and often are the better choice. You know, I'm, uh, I have one client who went on a side quest and it has ended up being, I think, a really rewarding art practice for her or something that she thought was not the main focus of what she wanted to do. And and I think that often happens, which is you can't tell, predict, see, you know, straight ahead what it should be. So taking a couple side journeys, you may find something more interesting. Okay. okay you did say that you were going to kill me if I said interesting again. So I might you be know, dead I said I was going to ring a bell every time you said that word. Well, you don't have a bell. So too bad. Okay. I can clap. <laughs> Okay, so the second part of my studio practice is learning time. And this actually obviously relates into artistic research. They can't totally be separated. But I think that you should have dedicated learning time every week. So on my studio calendar, which I have, which is why I'm, if you're seeing me on YouTube, it's because I'm looking at the calendar. Um, So I have on uh, time marked out on Tuesdays for skill development. And I have time marked out on Fridays for creative exploration. And so what's the difference? So I think of skill development as more formal learning. So I think of that as time when I watch a video, take a class, work on a particular skill that I want to have in sort of more formal education. And then creative exploration is kind of like mucking around. It's making some bad choices and seeing what happens. Um, So some of the things I do like in this learning time, so it could be um, material exploration, meaning experimenting with different art materials and discovering how I like to use them, if I like to use them. It could also be technique exploration, practicing techniques, inventing techniques. And I think like the thing is all of this continuous 
experimentation, I think contributes to the evolution and elevation of my artwork. Because instead of it staying stagnant and being the same for long periods of time, I'm constantly bringing in new materials. I'm constantly bringing in new techniques and throwing old stuff away. So it's things evolve over time, you know? Um, so that's really sort of how I focus my learning time and how I've constructed it. I don't think you need to construct it that way, but I think that you do need to make sure sort of in the way that so many jobs have a professional development requirement. You know, my, every time I go to the hairdresser, she's taken some new class. Oh, I took a balayage class. Oh, I took a special class on how to, you know, do the tips of this. Oh, I took a trend class on how this works. Oh, you know, the rep came in and gave some demonstrations on how this new, you know, hair serum works or whatever it is. And I think that that's, fantastic because it makes me feel like she's not just cutting hair the same way that she always has or dyeing hair or, or any of that stuff. And I think, you know, I get art teachers in my classes all the time. And I think that's because art teachers are constantly taking classes to up their skills, to get new ideas, to find new ways to do it. And that's wonderful too. So the question is, when are you done being a student? And the answer is never. I look for different things in classes now than I did 10 years ago. You know, I look for different things in teachers than I did. So I actually mostly take classes with teachers whose work I do not want to emulate. So just to say that again, if I see your class project and it looks really cool. I I like it a lot. I'm not taking a class with you because I don't want to, <laughs> because most of the time, if I think the project's really cool, I'll just go make something that looks like that by myself. Like I don't need the explanation on how to do it. I like to You're take notorious, classes. by the way, for not reading the directions on I something. Am. You'll bring I... something into your house and you won't sit and read the directions. You'll just figure it out. Who needs directions? You can figure most things out. You know what I mean? I also am notorious for, I want to do the last project in the book that you're supposed to have built the skills for instead of starting with the first project. I just want to do the last one. Um, but anyway, so the teachers that I personally look for, for me, where I am in my art practice, and you never have to do the same thing as someone else, you should do what feels right for you, is I like teachers who A, are really good at teaching, meaning they explain things really clearly, they uh, leave room for you to express yourself, they talk about uh, wise, huge concepts, um, they do not speak slowly, they do not go slowly, they do not force you to look at every single bit of material that they have put out. I personally watch almost every video, including tutorials, at two times speed. It is very rare for me to watch it at real speed. I cannot stand how slowly most people speak. Anyway, separate problem. Uh, people have complained to you that you go too quickly. Always. On the other hand, you've told them they can always slow things down and stop the video. Exactly. I have never once it. left a comment on YouTube or anywhere else and told a teacher that they speak too slowly. However, legions of people have felt it necessary to tell me that I go too quickly. So we just have a difference in opinion on how you should behave on the internet. Uh, so the next thing that I really look for in a teacher is someone who is working on concepts that I am not 100% clear on. So what I would mean is, let's say you're teaching a class that's on, um, 
let's say artistic practice, what we're talking about today. So I have an artistic practice. I don't know other people's artistic practices. I would love to take your class where you show me what your artistic practice is and other people in the class share their artistic practice. And then guess what? I can enhance my artistic practice with bits of yours while staying to myself, you know, true. So that's sort of where I am, but you should figure out, it's a good thing to sit down and figure out what do you want to get out of class? Do you want to make a beautiful project that looks just like the teacher? Fantastic. Then pick someone who can get you there. Do you want to learn more about how to draw? Do you want to learn more about how alcohol ink markers work? Do you want to learn more about color? Do you want to learn more about whatever it is, like pick your subject and then go after what it is you want to learn. Make that part of your artistic practice. So then the third part of my artistic practice is what I call field trips. Julia Cameron of the Artist Wave, I call these artist dates, um, but I would not. Uh, so for me, they're just about gathering inspiration. And I call them field trips because I generally think they have to be out of your house. Got to go outside in the real world. You got to put on socks. That's oh, my wow. great definition for whether it's a field trip or not. Did you put on socks? Um, and so visiting a museum or gallery, gathering inspiration from nature. I do think a lot of like networking and community related things can be considered field trips. So building relationships within the art community, attending events, talking to other artists. I mean, I even think a stimulating conversation with a friend counts, a book club. They're just field trips. They're field trips where, again, I think you have to do the processing to make it part of your art practice and not just part of your life. And the processing is where you take it and you just write something down, a sentence, a thought, a thought feather, an idea. Um, well, when you were a theatrical director, imagine if you never went to see anybody else's plays. Right? Imagine if you never read any plays. Imagine if you never you know, talk to other people in the industry to find things out. Like you just, you need to make connections, go places, be, be amongst others, whatever that may be. And again, I don't think it has to be strictly art related. Go to the library. That's a field trip. You know, go look at some leaves, go garden for a couple hours and then write one line about how, or draw a picture of how that experience of gardening might come into your art practice in some way. Was there a leaf you saw? Was there a feeling you had? Was there a thought you had? Is there a shape that keeps coming up? Whatever it is. Um, and this actually leads me to part four of my artistic practice, which is reflection. Uh, we've talked about this ad nauseum. We will continue to talk about it. You will never get me to stop talking about it. You will You have to you know, rip reflection out of my cold, dead hands. It is the part of art making that most people miss, and it is the part of art making that makes your work better, okay? I'm, cr I'm currently working on a class for uh, another site, uh, and the topic of my class is about how to, how to get better in 10 minutes a day, like how to make your art better in these little tiny bursts and such a big, and so spoiler alert, you don't have to pay for the class because here's the answer. It's reflection, you guys. Uh, it really is. And, you know, it, it, it's the thing that makes you grow. So we've already talked about documentation, which I obviously believe is really important. I have started to um, use a logbook recently, which 
I know. I mean, I've made a, I mean, it's, I don't know what a log book is, but I've made it up. It's a log book, a log book. And so in it every day that I come into the studio, my rule is one sentence, one photo. So I have to write, I could write more. I can have more. I can do a thousand things in it. But every day that I come into the studio, I write the date. I write one sentence at some point during that day. And then at some point I have a little photo printer in the studio and I take a photo of whatever it is I'm working on, print it out. And then I just have a record. It's a log book of what I've done, where I've been, how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, you know, and it can be useful for referring back to, or it can just be useful for processing whatever went on, you know? It's funny because you started your entire artistic career as a scrapbooker. Oh yeah. It's kind of a scrapbook actually, if you think about it hundred percent. And, and I think that the thing that I find the most interest, the most Ooh. compelling, don't you ding your bell at me, lady. Uh, the thing that I find the most compelling about it is one day, you know, the left page talks about how frustrated I am and how this is never going to come together. And I think I should just cover the whole thing up and start again. And then the next day I'm crowing about what a genius I am and how fantastic it is. And it's a good reminder to myself to just walk away. Whether you think it's really good or really bad, just walk away because time is a factor. And I think that's a very useful piece of knowledge, shall we say. So then the second part of reflection is critique and feedback. We have talked about critique and feedback. We don't need to get into it. We did a whole podcast on it, but that is a part of my artistic practice and I hope it always is. I'm starting with uh, this critique group in 2024 that I hope is going to be really good for me. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then something I do with my coaching clients and myself, although I have no accountability because I do it with myself, my coaching clients at least have me, um, is I do a monthly check-in with them. And usually what that means is at the starter end of our session every new month, we sort of hit up like, what are the goals that you had for the month? How are you doing on them? D did you succeed? Did you not? What do we need to change? How can we go forward into the new month. And the, and so with those short-term goals, and then how are we doing on sort of our big picture goals? Do we need to make adjustments? And it can feel intimidating to have to do these monthly check-ins, to have to really think about it, to have to set goals every month. But I do believe that there is no forward motion unless you're thinking of somewhere to go. It sounds pretty obvious. But unless, unless you, if you're standing at your front door, just looking at the driveway, you're probably not going to get to the driveway unless you think in your mind, I'd like to go to the driveway and then see if you can get there. And so that's the same thing with your goals, which is if you want to get better at drawing, the question is, A, you have to say that, B, what you're going to do about it? And then the accountability, did you do it? Did you do whatever you said you were going to do? you know, and then you can keep kicking the can down the road, but at least you feel guilty about it if you've written it down. Well, it doesn't have to be a punitive situation. It is. You know, checking in on your goals doesn't necessarily mean that you get an A or, or, or an F. Right. Maybe they weren't the right goals. Maybe for various reasons you've changed them. Maybe they turned out to be more complex than you thought they'd be, and they'll take a longer time or require mm -hmm. other changes first. I think you have to not 
not be your own worst critic. Oh, yes. I'm a terrible human being because I didn't get my goal. You know, is no, all, all of life is not got to be a struggle. Not flagellating yourself. Well, that's not what my right. mother taught me. But really? what I was going to wow. say is what a horrible mother. <laughs> what I was going to say is the reason that I started doing the monthly check-in instead of having them set goals at the beginning of the year is because I found that things would change much more quickly. And a month is a much shorter period of time. It allows you to then pivot if you need to, if something comes up, you know, or if something changes or whatever else happens. Um, okay, so an art practice obviously involves both a physical act of making art and a broader range of activities aimed at nurturing creativity, developing skills, and generating ideas. So now the big two questions of the second half of the podcast. Are you ready, mom? I'm so ready. I can tell, I could hear the enthusiasm in your voice. Uh, so everything you say is interesting to me, darling. Oh, everything. Ding, 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 ding. Interesting, interesting. Uh, should you have an art practice? And how, if you should, how do you develop an art practice? So first the question is, should you have an art practice? Mom, should you? I think in anything that's important to you, it's important to make sure you can progress in a way that satisfies you. If, if cooking is your thing and you never introduce any new recipes and you're still making jello salad, you know, from the fifties. I hope you're living with people who love jello salad. I think then you've never discovered a kiwi, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> because they've been introduced later. Uh, I think one of the things that happens is if you, you get complacent and say, Oh, this is good enough. Or you say, I don't need to get this new equipment because I've done perfectly well without it. Uh, if you want to improve, if you love cooking, if you love food, if you want to delight yourself and, that, and then other people as well, you, you want to discover what else is out there in the world. You want to go to restaurants you've never gone to. I will never be one of those people who only goes to the same restaurants and orders the same meal every time. We know some people like that. That's their preference. Great. But I can't go to, I can't order the same meal every time. It just, it doesn't excite me. So I'm going to talk about something I know nothing about because for a challenge to do that, uh, which I'm going to talk about exercise. Okay. It's starting to so, get on the edge of nagging you and well, your brother. It's not. I'm and the exercise. Not at you. If you feel like I'm nagging, that seems like guilt talking, which has nothing to do this with This is you. nagging. Okay. So an art practice, an exercise practice. So when I think about going to the gym, it's this idea like, oh, you go to the gym. And that's pretty much where the idea ends. I mean, I've been to the gym. I've had a gym membership in the past. I've lived in a building that had a gym, you know, and it's and like, I go to the gym, right? And it's like, okay, I'm going to walk on the treadmill and then I'm going to play with some of the weight machines and then I'm done, right? But I think someone who has a gym practice, an exercise practice, in fact, I know people who do, today I'm running a mile, tomorrow I do the 10 mile. Today is a leg day, tomorrow is an arm day. I'm really interested in 
you know, increasing the weight, how much weight I can deadlift. I'm working right now on my core muscles. So I'm doing a series of core exercises every other day for 30 minutes. Like they have a practice. Well, and it's even more than that because they incorporate things like nutrition into yes. their practice. So it's more wide reaching than just showing up at the gym. Right. And that's part of it. So, so should your artistic practice be if, if they, I think a lot of people live an athletic lifestyle or an exercise lifestyle. So it means they think about it in terms of sleep. They think about it in terms of how they dress the clothing they wear. They think about it in terms of what they eat. They think about it in terms of how to schedule the gym time into their lives. Right. And that is absolutely 100% a core identity for them. I am an athletic also person. think about it in terms of the friendships they develop, because we've often talked about the idea that if you, uh, your friendship group has some determinative value in on what kinds of things you end up doing and what your right. If you're are. friends with a lot of people who drink every single weekend, it's really hard for you to be the only one who doesn't drink. If you're friends with people who run every 5K in town and the way that they socialize is they're part of a running club and they meet up at the gym, then you probably go to the gym. You know, if you're friends with people who like to have nachos and bake lots of, you know, do bake off and have a friend bake off and da da da, then you probably do a lot of baking. I mean, it is true that we, you know, our friendship groups are both chosen and reinforce our habits, good and bad. And so I think if you have an art practice, part of that choice is to give over in some ways to an art lifestyle. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone who creates art has to have an art practice. And you may be very happy with whatever way art works into your life right now. And what it also I'm doesn't mean about, everyone of your friends should be an artist. No. But what I'm talking about is that, in fact, very few, I, I know very few, like very few of the people that I consider close friends, if any, are artists. I wonder if um, part of that, again, I'm on an aside, yeah is because a lot of people start do doing art in a very private way, mm -hmm. almost secretive way uh, mm -hmm. for various reasons. And so you don't discuss it and you don't seek out people who are also doing art because then you'd have to reveal yourself. Well, I think also I don't come into, because I don't do a lot of shows and I didn't go to art school and all those kind of reasons, I just don't come into contact with a lot of arts artists. So that's part of it. I also run into the problem of if artists are my age, they're very busy with children of various ages and it's hard then to make a social connection. So I sort of missed out of the window in my twenties because I was friend with theatrical artists then tons of theater people, but that's what I was doing in my twenties. And so I think I'm going to have, so I either have to be friends with people who are older who understand that I just disappear or can't do anything at night or, you know, on and on and on, or, Anyway, that's a whole separate personal issue, which we could talk about another day. What I, the point that I want to make is that I don't think everyone needs to have an art practice, but if you're interested in getting better at art, if you're interested in working your way towards um, your goals, then I think an art practice will serve you. It will help you that way. I don't think it has to become a completely all-consuming lifestyle habit, but I also think if I were a trainer at a gym, I would say to you, 
that you're probably not going to get the results that you're looking for if you're only coming to the gym and not doing the nutrition part of it or the sleep part of it, you know, and that results will be faster and more towards what you're asking me for if you do those other things. So the same thing is going to be here true with your art practice. If you want to get the results that you're looking for, you need to have an art practice. If you're just doing it because you enjoy it and it's fun and all that other stuff, great. You don't need an art practice. Okay. So if you want that art practice, how are you going to get it? So uh, I have a list of six ways, six steps, six steps. Okay. So one, define your artistic goals. This should be pretty obvious, right? This is the whole thing about standing on your porch. I want to go to the driveway. So you just need to clearly articulate your short-term and your long-term artistic goals. Are you aiming for personal expression, building a professional art career, exploring a specific theme? Like whatever it is, your whatever your goals are, that's going to really guide what components you put into your art practice, right? You have a bag called art practice and what you put into that bag is really dependent on what your goals are. So then step number two, once you've defined your goals, are to consider your preferred process, okay? So this means you need to reflect on whatever process it is that you like. Do you like, are you a person who needs to plan and sketch and, you know, build, 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 build until you're ready to do it? Or are you a person who just wants to go and just throw it? That's a technical term, by the way. And just sort of throw it. I'm in awe. <laughs> uh, and just sort of throw it all out there. You know, it's it's spontaneity. Um, whatever your process is, your art practice should reflect that. There isn't a right and a wrong way. The only right way is the way that you like to do it. The only wrong way is the way that somebody tells you it should be. And here's something I want to say. If you don't know what your preferred process is, then part of your art practice right now needs to be to find a way to find that. And that's just going to be through practice, 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 trying lots of different things until you find something that feels right. Okay. Um, step number three is actually something that mom said earlier because she's so wise and so smart, uh, which is, she said really about balancing like routine and flexibility. Okay. So one of the things is like, I have a schedule on my wall that I look at sometimes that says like basic ideas of what I'm supposed to get done each day of the week. So I have a general concept for the day, you know, like Wednesdays today is, is public projects day. Public, what is public projects day? That's days that I do things like the uh, podcast that we're doing, do my, uh, film my reels, do YouTube videos, work on, you know, posts that I want to write, emails I'm going to send, like it's public projects day. Now it's flexible because it doesn't say like exactly what I have to work on or the exact hours, but I know that on Wednesdays in general, unless there's an emergency, like I'm doing public projects. So I, I put on mascara today, which I don't do any other day, but today is public projects day. So I wear mascara. So it's just, it's about the routine and flexibility. Okay. Um, number four, embrace continuous learning. We talked about this a lot during the practice period. So we certainly don't need to, you know, uh, uh, labor, belabor the point here. Uh, build a supportive community. 
This one is hard. This one is hard. This one is hard. That's number five. Um, and it's all the things that we just talked about. So your community may be in person. Your community may be online. But I think it's, and I don't, I don't think I know. Almost everyone who talks about their art, one of the things that they always say is people that they were influenced by when they came into contact with them, people who supported them or changed them, their crick group, their friends from art school, their, I mean, community is an incredible thing. And if you can't find it in person, try to make it online, you know, Community will get you through struggles. They will lift you up when they're down. You will find in helping others that you help yourself. I am a huge believer in the power and the importance of community. And it's hard. I say it's hard because I wish I had a stronger in-person artistic community. And it's something I'm I'm actively working towards in 2024. Okay, the last one, number six evaluate and adapt. And mom, you said this too. You have to periodically evaluate your art practice and be open to making adjustments, right? Because as you evolve as an artist, your interests and goals can change and you need to adapt your practice accordingly to reflect all of that. Your your art practice is dynamic and it's, and it's an evolving journey. And I say this to people all the time. You are supposed to reevaluate your artist statement every six months at least. So that means every six months, you're probably having some kind of significant change to how or why you're making your art. So it makes sense that you need to step in and sort of evaluate and think about how your art practice either is serving you or isn't. So my current schedule is a new one. I've been on, I was on a different schedule previous to that and it, it stopped working for me. I found myself frustrated. I was doing tons of late nights. I was feeling stressed beyond belief. I was like completely losing my mind. So I did a very modern thing. I went to chat GPT and I said, these are the tasks that I need to get done every week. Okay. I'm a visual artist. These are the hours that I can work. Help me divide this into a schedule. And I input all that information and ChatGPT spit out a schedule for me and I poked around at it. So made it a little bit more like what I thought would work for me. And I've been on it now for about a month and a half maybe. And it's been a really good schedule. It's not gonna be a forever schedule though. Things are gonna change. For instance, my husband is taking a, a very intensive class this winter where he has to be on campus at his school, you know, for a couple weeks. So that's gonna change childcare and all sorts of other stuff. So that's gonna have to adapt. You know, uh, maybe things will change. Like maybe I'll have fewer public projects now that I stop blogging or maybe I'll have the same amount. I mean, you just don't know. So it's flexible but it's there. And I think that's important. Okay. So those are my six steps just to review in case you need to write it down in your incredible studio log or other notebook. One, define your artistic goals. Two, consider your preferred process. Three, balance routine and flexibility. Four, embrace continuous learning. Five, build a supportive community. And six, evaluate and adapt. Okay. Mom, what are your thoughts on building this artistic practice? I think it's not related only or restricted only to artistic practice. I mean, I think you could use some of those things in a discussion about building a strong marriage or relationship. 
you know, I think a lot of these things apply and that one of the most valuable things that a person can nurture in themselves is flexibility and adaptation to changing circumstances because that happens all the time and the more you resist it the less content and functional you're going to be so i think what's good about this is the whole concept is circular and uh can be adjusted for an individual so i think it's a, a great idea and I think you should come up with a chart, Julie, and maybe a graph, <laughs> maybe some kind of visual, big circle with little oh, arrows. That would be good. That's a good idea. I have to come up I've with that. I've also been having this weird thought during the whole discussion of an artwork filled with little feathers of various ideas appearing, disappearing. It might be a video uh, because yeah. I love that metaphor of the just feather of a thought. Right. Thought feathers just expresses it so well. Everybody knows what a thought feather is because we've all had them. And can you catch it before it floats away, before it slowly drifts away? You know, well, as an elderly person, believe me, I know what a thought feather is. Well, I've been complaining a lot. I have no short term memory right now. And it's just lack of sleep and stress. And I know that. But I cannot remember names. Somebody asked me the other day where Steve was born. I couldn't, for the life of me, I knew that it started with an S and it was in Washington, could not come up with the word Spokane, could not, could not for the life of me. And it wasn't until I got home that I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Just brain not working. Anyway, yes, catch that thought feather before it disappears on you. Well, the good oh. news is even if you don't catch it, often it comes around again. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Eventually. Eventually it does. Uh, so before we go, I just want to mention monthly membership, which you can find at ballsresigns.com. That's really the engine that makes everything go. So I would love it if you would check that out. Membership offers a diverse array of classes, tutorials, blogs, and art inspiration. Uh, what do people say about membership? Well, they say that they love it. No, what they what they say, there are a bunch of testimonials on <laughs> at ballsresigns.com that you can find. But in Essentials, they say uh, that the membership makes them feel empowered, excited, you know, interested in art. And that's what I want from everyone, right? And don't forget about my Practical Colors for Painters class. That one uh, is really based on all the problems that I see, the questions I get from members, just the different uh, issues that come up constantly in classes. This is a fundamental class. I do put the fun in the fundamental. So it'll be incredibly enjoyable. You'll get practical worksheets that you can download and keep forever. And you'll end 2024 with a big binder full of resource materials that you can use for the rest of your life. Because basically the fundamental aspects of color don't change. It's not like it's going to be out of date in 2025. There are some like chic, cool color profiles that come and go. But the fundamental rules of colors absolutely stay the same. So even after class has started, you can still join. You can still get in. There's plenty of time between classes for life events and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to find mom, you're going to have to jump out of the bushes and catch her in real life. But you can find me all over the internet. 
Uh, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or all over social media as Balzer Designs. Um, I really hope you'll sign up for the weekly newsletter. It is 100% free. There's always a quote, some inspiration, links to lots of stuff that I posted elsewhere online. And that's the best way to make sure you keep up on the latest news, get the discount codes, all that kind of stuff. There's a big button on the homepage of juliebalzer.com where you can do that. Or you can go to the show page for this podcast to find the link. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review. You can mention us on social media. You can also tell a friend because all of those things help other people find the show, which is what we want. So thank you so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. Bye.